Good morning, church. It's good to be back with you this morning. Uh, last week, uh, you guys may have heard I had a virus, and one of our elders, Jim Coons, did a great job stepping in and preaching for me with about 24 hours notice. So he did a phenomenal job. Yeah, you guys are going, whoa, how would that work? Yeah, uh, Jim was a little nervous, but I thought he did a great job. Do you guys think he did a great job? <laughs> he did a great job, absolutely. Um, so appreciate him. We are continuing this conversation on margins and looking at margin in our life. We've been uh, introducing this every single week because it helps us understand what we're talking about in regards to what does margin look like. Margin can be defined as a space between our load and our limits. And we live in a society that is always pushing up against margin, always pushing up against what has our time and what has our financial resources. And so we've been kind of building the conversation around that. What does our calendar look like? What does our, our checkbook look like? And what is it that God wants us to take a look at in regards to those things? Um, we've been looking at rest and abiding worry and anxiety when we don't live according to what God has for us. Uh, last week, uh, Jim started the conversation about contentment and about putting God first in our finances, that we're called to be a people that prioritize and order our finances around what God wants for us. We have to live within a budget. The contentment is the driver of our budget, not wanting or desiring like we have to have more and more and more, and that trust that as we put God first in our finances, the blessings will come. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up learning, and I think naturally, I grew up uh, protecting what is mine. And part of the reason why I believe that I need to protect what is mine is because I had a younger brother. Am I the only one that understands what I'm talking about right now? I remember at a very young age, like I loved to color, and my little rascal brother would come over, and he would try and steal my color pencils and my crayons. Anybody else have a little brother that would do that? And then when I would try and protect that, he would look at me, and he would grab one of them, and he would snap them in half with this evil look in his eye. And I would cry, and I would go to my mom, and she didn't do anything about it. No, I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> And I was scarred at a very young age to protect what is mine. And then I, you would think that it would get better as I got older, but no, it wouldn't get better as I got older. As I was in high school, I tried to learn how to golf, and I loved to golf. And I remember going out to Matt Frisbee uh, house and us going to Foxtail Golf Course, which is no longer in existence. And I would go and I would golf. And then one day I went to pull out my pitching wedge. And my pitching wedge is gone. And I remembered earlier in the week that my brother was outside in our backyard hitting uh, tennis balls with the pitching wedge. And so I asked him, where's my pitching wedge? And he goes. <laughs> and so at a very young age, like I believe that I need to protect what was mine. And then sure enough, like I began to watch that movie, uh, Finding Nemo. Remember the seagulls, what they would say? Mine, 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 right? And then I had children. And I began to watch them as they would grow. And one of the first words that they would learn to say was, mine. mine. Am I the only one that is like understanding that I, I have a tendency to want to, to wanna control, protect what is mine? Am I the only one this morning that lives in that world? No, I think we all do, right? We all live in the world of protecting, controlling what is mine. And what ends up happening when it comes to the stuff that we have and the resources that God has given to us, we have a tendency to live like this. Like this. And is this how God wants us 
to live is a question that I want us to wrestle with this morning. Is this how God wants us to live? We're going to be taking a look at a passage that Jim talked really briefly about last week, Philippians chapter 4. If you've got your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn there. Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, and I love the book of, book of Philippians. It's one of my favorite books in the New Testament because it's so positive. And the reason why it's so positive is because Paul's talking about this church, about all the amazing things that they're doing, and he's not really addressing any problems, which all the other letters in the New Testament, Paul's addressing problems. Paul's addressing things that are happening in the church. Um, he's addressing the conflict that's taking place, which gives us hope that if we experience conflict in the church, it's not even really different than it was 2,000 years ago, right? Like we're in good company when we're walking through problems and issues, but the book of Philippians is different. It's so positive, and Paul's talking about all the great things that they're doing, and he concludes this letter by actually encouraging them about something that is impacting him personally. And he says this in Philippians chapter 4. He says, verse 10, how I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is, full of, whether it is a full stomach or whether it is empty, with plenty or with little. And then here's the passage that we see all across stadiums and across the, the United States when it comes to different things. Philippians 4.13, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me, what's he say? Gives me strength, right? And Jim talked about it last week about this passage. We use that passage and, and you know, I think it was Evander Holyfield that had it uh, somewhere and, and we always apply it to, well, I can do anything. I can do anything with Christ who gives me strength, which is true, but the context of this passage is about contentment. That Paul's living in the posture of like, whether I've got a lot or I've got a little, like Christ is enough. And he's going to see me through whatever I'm going through. And this is really the central message of Philippians chapter 4, that Jesus calls us to contentment no matter what financial troubles we face. Whether you are in a time where you have a lot or whether you have a little, believing and trusting that Jesus is enough no matter what. Just like we sang and Nathan led us through. That Jesus is the hope. And that Jesus can walk beside me and he will walk beside me in the midst of my desert mountaintops, whether that's a spiritual desert mountaintop, whether that's financial desert or mountain financial top, whatever it is, that Jesus is enough. And that he cares for me and that he loves me and he calls me to seek after him. So this is the foundation for Paul in which how he lives, how he carried out the gospel. It's the reason why Paul, when he went and planted churches, there were times when he didn't have a lot. And so you know what he went and did? He was a tent maker. He went and got a job. And you're like, well, he got a job and he quit moving the gospel for it. No. Like Paul's sole mission was to plant churches and to see people lost and become saved, to see the gospel move forward. And so Paul said, if I've got to go and, and be a tent maker, then I'll do that. Because I want to see people come to know Jesus. But there were also seasons in his life where he didn't have to be a tent maker because there was so much generosity that was being displayed through the churches that he had the opportunity to just devote his full time to the gospel. This is the, the message that Paul has, is that I'm going to live with contentment no matter the situation, and that the sole thing that's driving me is the gospel, that people would come to know Jesus, that people would be discipled, and that other people would make disciples and make disciples. Are you with me this morning, church? This is who we are as a church as well. This is what drives everything that we do, to see people come to know Jesus and to live with contentment with whatever we've got facing us. And that Jesus invites us into that mission. It's a life-saving, life-giving mission. And then he goes on to say this. 
Paul says, even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. See, this church, this church was on point in Philippi, right? Like they are living out the gospel and showing generosity to Paul. They're the only ones that show generosity to Paul in a time where he had need. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once, he says. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. At the moment, I have all I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. And so this church, you might say, who's Epaphroditus? This church obviously has given Paul a financial gift, but he's also sending Epaphroditus. They're sending someone to him to be with him in the midst of prison. Because they probably understood that it just wasn't about finances. It's not just about finances in life, right? Sometimes like we just need someone to be with us. Have you ever had someone that just sat with you in the midst of life's most difficulty? They just sat with you. And that's what Epaphroditus is doing. He's just sitting with Paul. Spending time with Paul. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice, he says. These gifts, this generosity that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And this same God who take care, takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. This doesn't surprise me. The church in Philippi was behaving this way because here's the deal. Christians have always led the way in generosity. Christians have always led the way in generosity. You might be saying, why am I asking this? Or why am I saying that? It's because here's the reality. Is that Jesus paved the way for generosity. Jesus led the way in extreme generosity. The most quoted passage in all of the Bible, for God so loved the world that he, he gave. That the Son of God, God, got off his throne and lived with people, walked as we walked, and ultimately gave himself up for the sins of the world. Extreme generosity. Why, why have Christians been leading the way in generosity for 2,000 years? Because their master, their disciple maker, the, their God gave extreme generosity to them. And that message is what started this revolution across the world, that Jesus, the Son of God, would come and he would die for me. And so from the very beginning, Christians have been paving the way of generosity. They've been the people that have been living out Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. This passage talks about how the church started. What did they do? What did they commit themselves to? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread. It said, verse 43, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and have everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added their number daily, those who were being saved. This is the start of the church. As soon as God's Holy Spirit is poured out, his church gathers together and it says that they all shared their stuff and that no one was in need. Why? Because they understood that Jesus died for them and showed extreme generosity. In addition to that, Christians have been leading the way ever since. Have you ever thought about this? That Christians, in regards to how they live, that in the midst of plagues, 
or across the world, who was it that went and took care of the sick that had the plague? It was Christians that moved in. In the midst of infanticide, uh, leaving children out to die of exposure, it was Christians who came and rescued and adopted infants that were left out to die. In regards to the sick and communities that needed to be taken care of, who built the hospitals for the culture? It's Christians. It's Christians that are, have always been leading the way. And it's Christians that have always been leading the way in living a life and saying, you know what? I'm going to structure my life around the things that God wants and create margin in my life to do the things that God wants me to do. It's Christians that have led the way in generosity. And so this morning, I want to ask you this question. How are you leading the way in carrying the banner of generosity today? How are you leading the way of caring for people and being generous Structuring your life in a posture where you can have the margin that when God says, I want you to do this, that you go and you, you move into it. I want you to think about this. You are called to lead the way in generosity like Christians have been doing for 2,000 years as they follow in the example of Jesus. And would you be willing to look at your life and say, how can I begin to live this way that Jesus called me to live in? What keeps you from doing that? Well, there's a couple things that keep you from, from being generous. Number one, this is a positive one. It's called a budget. What keeps you from being generous? Sometimes it's a budget. Sometimes you, you are in a season where you, you don't have the margin. Anybody ever been in that place? I have. I've been in that place where like, I want to give. I want to be generous, but I don't have it in my budget right now. And guess what? You don't have to feel bad for that. You don't have to feel bad for that. But I will tell you this. There is one way that you can sneak into my budget when I don't have the margin to be generous. And that's if your kid is trying to do a fundraiser and he come and hits the pavement and knocks on my door. I'm telling you right now, I'm probably buying whatever he or she is selling because kids don't hit the pavement anymore. It takes courage at 12 years old to walk up to a stranger's door, knock on the door and be like, hey, I'm selling a gold gift card or stuff for my team. Would you be willing to buy one? Like, I'm buying one, man. Because you came to me. But sometimes we don't have it. Sometimes we give to God what is his. It's called the first fruits. Jim talked about that last week. And then when we start going through our budget, we don't have extra to be generous. We don't have anything to give. And that's okay. But there's other things that also drive us a lot of times that aren't good. Number two, um, it's selfishness. It goes back to that, I've got to protect what is mine. And this is the thing that the culture, in regards to the United States of America, we live in a culture where our stuff means a lot to us. Sometimes more than it actually should. And so all of us have to be willing to look and ask the question, like, am I holding on to my stuff too tightly? And this is something for me that uh, the Lord's been working with me on for a long time. And, and it's interesting that, like, um, it, it, it's one of those things that it has to even do with my brother. 
You see, me and my brother had a really broken relationship for a lot of years. But then there was these moments where God began to restore a relationship with me and my brother. Um, I had to ask for forgiveness for a lot of things and, and, and he forgave me from a lot of things. And eventually he started coming to church here and I got the opportunity to baptize my brother, which was an amazing day in itself. And he began to grow in the Lord and I began to watch him grow and to change. And it was funny, one day he called me and he needed my truck to move. And you know what my first reaction was? No. I mean, literally, I remember clear as day, the question that popped in my brain is, what if he breaks it? It's PTSD from when I was younger. I mean, I'm just, all right? <laughs> what if he breaks it? And it was a really long, quiet pause on the phone. Can I borrow your truck? I'll be honest, like I gave a list of excuses as to why he couldn't use my truck. And I hung up the phone. And the Holy Spirit did what the Holy Spirit does. I called him back and said, you can use my truck. Even though I was teaching my kids, their stuff is not their stuff. It's God's, that God has given to you to steward. What about when it comes to you? What keeps you from being generous? Is it your stuff? There's another thing that keeps us from being able to be generous, and it's called debt. Everybody say debt this morning. Debt keeps you from having margin. This leads you to not being able to be generous. Um, Debt is something that is prevalent in our culture, and yet the Bible talks about in regards to what debt becomes. Proverbs 22, 7, the rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. The reality of it is, is that debt becomes something that keeps us from being able to be generous in the way that God's called us to. In these moments where the Holy Spirit says, I want you to, I want you to do this. And so for all of us, we have to look and ask ourselves, what, is the, what does the Bible actually say about debt? The Bible says lots of things about debt. But here's some things I want you to understand. The central message is regarding uh, debt that it should be released, canceled, forgiven, or avoided. Avoided. Because it keeps us from actually being able to live with margin. It actually keeps us from actually living a life full of life. It actually keeps us from doing the things that God's actually invited us to do. And sometimes God invites us to do those things even in spite of the fact that we are in debt. So for all of us, we have to look and ask ourselves this question. Like, am I living according to the the ways that God wants me to manage my money or am I living beyond the means of which he's provided for me? And this is something that we have to come to grips with in the Treasure Valley because here's what I know. Um, My wife, she used to work in banking. And one of the things that she told me, she's like, I'm not gonna tell you the details because I'll get fired. She goes, well, I'll tell you this. There's lots of fancy and shiny things that we all have. But she said over and over and over and over again, paycheck to paycheck, just to look like we've got a lot, is the predominant reality of the Treasure Valley and families. So we have to look at our our life and ask the question, am I living with margin? Am I living within what God has for me? Is, is finance is something that is actually giving me life or is finance is something that is, that is causing me to move into slavery? And debt is one of those things that keeps us from, from living with margin, living as God's intended for us. 
And so would we be willing to begin to look at what it looks like to change the way we live, to manage by God's principles. And what are those things? We started talking about last week. First one is, is to give. It's counterintuitive. To give what is God's, what is his. The first fruits is what it's talked about. Proverbs chapter three. Number two, would you be willing to save, to put some aside? Proverbs 21, six, the wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. Building wealth is not bad. Building wealth is not bad as long as building wealth doesn't become the thing that you worship and replace with Jesus. Building wealth enables you to be generous when other people can't. Number three, would you be willing to spend, but to spend wisely, to think about what God really wants me to invest my expenses into? And then lastly, would you be willing to give generously to fight against uh, discontentment, to fight against keeping up with the Joneses, to fight against comparison? Would you be willing to live generously and saying, Lord, what do you want me to do in these, this situation? I want to tell you that um, I have been blessed abundantly um, over the last couple of weeks. And uh, this is in the midst of difficulty. I don't know if you guys, some of you may have heard uh, because uh, lots of people ask me, how's my truck doing? Well, my truck broke down about a week and a half ago and my engine blew up. Yay. <laughs> I've never experienced that before. The biggest mechanic bill I've ever received was about $1,500. So my mechanic called me in the midst of having a virus horrible virus and he said I wish I had good news to bring today your engine's done it's toast 99,000 miles on it I said how much he said $6,000 I said okay so um, talked to the wife said babe big expense coming and uh, the first thing she said is okay how are we going to afford that and I go I don't know we're going to have to figure it out right and the second thing is I said I got worse news later on it's going to take about a month to get an engine here now I don't know about you I got a 12 year old a 10 year old and 7 year old that are involved in activities and sports and I live in CUNA and they're in Meridian she works I work how in the world are we going to get around with one vehicle so I did what I only knew to do. Go to Facebook. And I post on Facebook, hey, anybody got a vehicle around? My engine blew up. The amount of generosity that so many of you here at this church displayed in giving a vehicle people that are in this church, people that are in this community that know me, so many different people said, hey, I've got a vehicle. Um, one guy even joked, he's like, you should have asked what kind of uh, vehicle. You could have gotten a Lamborghini, potentially. <laughs> <laughs> I told him, I said, I just need to get from point A to point B. That's all I care about. And someone from this church gave me, I think, an early 90s Toyota it gets 25 miles of the gallon, drives like a champ, and I'm loving it. 
It's taking me back to high school, my high school truck. And my family's able to now function and move forward because someone just said, here's my car. Here's my car. Just take it. I've got an extra one. No big deal. Thank you. Thank you. When we show generosity, it changes the world. It changes people's lives. When we see a single mom who's raising her kids in the Lord with everything that she has by herself, breaking chains of addiction, it changes her life in the name of the gospel. When we give to, to the, the man or the woman that's fighting for every life that, that they have because of cancer, it changes the world. When we give to husbands and wives that are fighting for their marriage and the enemy wants divorce and we give in generosity, when we live with margin, it changes the world. And this is what we get to give our lives to, amen, church? To live differently than the rest of the world so they would ask the question, how are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Because of the gospel. Because what Jesus did for me, he gave to me, so I'm gonna give. Give with everything I've got. My time, my talents, my finances. And I'm gonna live with contentment. This is what Jesus has invited us into. As we get ready for communion this morning, I just wanna invite you to reflect on the reality of what we talked about today, about what does it look like to manage by God's principles? And what is it that Jesus is inviting you into right here, right now, in this moment? Let's get ready to have a meal with him.